This is a special Town Hall edition of Good Morning New Hampshire with Jack Heath, broadcasting live from the Bank of NH stage in downtown Concord. The focus is on New Hampshire and America's number one health issue, the state of mental health and addiction, right here at home. Presented by Granite Recovery Centers. Now, here's your host, Jack Heath. All right, we are back, and we are live and local here, Bank of New Hampshire stage. I want to thank the crew here, Capital Center for the Arts, CJ and our team. Sorry about those Eagles, CJ. Morgan also here. They really did tank, huh? Anyway, um, hey, listen, we're live and local, and the presidential primary is a few days away, and, yes, Nikki Haley was in our studios yesterday morning to kick off the show, fresh in from Iowa. Asked her three or four times that she's going to debate tomorrow night in the ABC WMUR-TV debate at St. Anselm. If Trump shows up, I'll debate. If Trump shows up, I'll debate. If Trump shows up, I kept asking. Two hours later, they canceled the debate because guess what? Donald Trump's not going to debate. Yes, the primary's a few days away. We can talk all about Biden and Trump and DeSantis and all that tomorrow when I have people like Josh McKelvin on, a great analyst, and we'll be doing the show live from St. Anselm's on Tuesday. I thought I'd take a break from all that. Biden and Trump every day. I thought I'd take a break and focus on mental health, anxiety, depression, suicide, addiction, because... No one else seems to be doing it. And, you know, Russ Conti and John Delina with the DEA here, Russ with the State Department of Safety focusing on this and NAMI. But, John Delina, if, if, John, if I asked, I'm being respectful here. This is nonpartisan. But if we don't get the people at the top offices talking about this in the national media, and that's why days before the media listening, they need to be asking candidates about this stuff, not just the gotcha questions, you know. And... If I ask one of these candidates, how many people in America died last year from a drug overdose? How many people here want to bet a quarter that none of them would probably know the number? I just heard it. 112,000, John? 112,000. And a lot of those are young people? A lot of those are younger people, like under 40? Leading cause of death, 18 to 45. We heard that in your last segment as well. Now, no disrespect to the current president or those who want to be. Can you imagine some of them trying to answer that question? I don't think they could. They should know that number. Those are families ripped apart, right? And let me jump in. I'll take it even one step No, you're here. Take it away. First of all, everybody needs to be having that conversation. You know, politicians aside, this isn't a red or blue issue. It's a red, white, and blue issue. This is the most important thing in this country right now. I agree, John, but if you're in the cabinet room and you work in Watt, you're a leading national advocate. If you're sitting with the president, with cabinet members, Department of Education, Homeland Security, if if they're not talking about it, John, because they have big budgets, if they're not talking about it, how does it spill down? If more governors don't talk about it, if more CEOs don't talk about it, yeah. if more media executives, if more talk show hosts don't, how are we going to talk about it? Yeah, and, and, and I'll say another thing. I, what I'd like to see is more athletes, more celebrities, because that's, that's what young people pay attention to. We did have a New England Patriot, Miles Bryant, in uh, one of the games this year, my cause for my cleats. He wore to represent a, a, a friend that he went to high school with who lost, uh, was lost to a drug poisoning, a fentanyl death. Do you uh, think in a couple – I mean, the NFL's done a great job on breast cancer awareness. Other, do you think we're going to get there where I hope so. it will be that prevalent? I hope so. I think, I think it's going to take something like that. It's going to take some athletes. It's going to take some celebrities. Mark Wahlberg's done it. We've done some events here with the Wahlberg Foundation. Uh, he stepped into it a little bit, but we need more people. Yeah, okay, so what are you seeing? You mentioned the numbers. Yeah. Can you, and Russ, you know, what are you seeing when you go out and talk with families? You mentioned the one family we're going to hear from in a moment. One pill, they didn't know. He didn't know the kid. Where, how, how are kids getting it? 
you know, is it what is it in the form of? As I don't know. It used to be the only thing I ever heard about fentanyl was a pain medication. Yeah. So so let me peel it back a little bit. Uh, so, and I think. Tragically, I think everybody in New Hampshire really understands this already, but we're talking about illicitly manufactured fentanyl. This isn't the prescription fentanyl that we're talking about. And it's taken over, okay? I, I was doing your show, Jack, and we were talking about heroin at the time, and then heroin mixed with fentanyl, and then mostly fentanyl mixed with some heroin. It, it, it's just fentanyl now. And, and there's a few things that I want people to know. In, in, in 2023, DEA alone, seized 77 million fentanyl pills, 77 million fentanyl pills, and over 12,000 pounds of fentanyl powder. That's 386 million deadly doses. The latest numbers, I came That's in, more than our population. I came in this morning, I checked with our labs, seven out of 10 pills that we seize, seven out of the 10 pills that we seize contain a potentially deadly dose. Basically everything that's out there right now is a fentanyl pill. They're manufacturing these pills to look exactly like every single type of pharmaceutical pill you can imagine. You mentioned in one of the previous segments, Adderall. So they've taken a drug like Adderall that these cartels know is widely used and abused by our young people, and they make pills to look exactly like an Adderall to contain nothing but fentanyl because they want to target and abuse as many Americans as they possibly can, and we need to continue to have these conversations. John, real quick, because I think Chris is a parent you have calling in. Yeah. He's on. Before we go to him, because he can tell us maybe, but if I or someone wanted to get a hold and try, you know, a drug that had fent, how accessible is it in Nashua, Portsmouth, Dover, Concord, Twin Mountain, Providence, Rhode Island, Portland, Maine? How easy is it to get, and how much does it cost? Well, it's, it's too easy to get. And we know now that the cartels especially and the organizations that work on behalf of the cartels are using social media. So they're making it readily accessible. A few things for, you, for everybody that's listening. You cannot buy legitimate prescription pills on social media. Anything you see being sold on social media is not a, it's against the law. They can't sell legitimate prescription pills. So anything on there is fake and it's being made with fentanyl. One of our guest here talked about the social media and the glorification attraction of such i'll bring in chris and let's do this now because he's been patient enough take it away john and russ you can weigh in as needed yeah thank you so chris didier uh i i came to know and 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 is a friend um and he has a very very heartbreaking story uh he lost his son zach to a fentanyl poisoning um zach is the perfect kid was the perfect kid um it, it's the heart wrenching story that we all worry about most you know are our kids safe will they make you know the, the the right decision at every single time when so many people are trying to prey upon these young people right now so chris thank you for joining us are you there hey uh, john and uh, everyone uh, i i am here can you guys hear me okay yes we can hear you great chris why don't you tell us uh your experience and Zach's experience. Well, everyone, thank you for the opportunity for me to be here. Uh, my name is Chris Didier, and uh, I am a father of three incredible children, and Zach is my youngest. Uh, we're all originally from the Sacramento area, and I am a retired military uh, dude. And uh, after you know completing my career, we moved back to the Sacramento area and just going through your normal family life, uh, watching your kids grow up and prosper. 
none of our kids really had any uh, issues going through school or struggled with depression, anxiety. Uh, they were all very successful, running on eight, uh, all eight cylinders, doing very well. Um, but what happened to Zach was something that uh, we never really expected to happen and uh, kind of hit us out of a, uh, like a Mack truck going 120 miles an hour out of nowhere. So what happened is uh, it was towards the end of COVID lockdown restrictions. In December of 2020, things started lifting uh, with restrictions and our mall opened up. It was, uh, it's one of the largest malls in Northern California, uh, the largest in the Sacramento Metroplex. Uh, and it was just a few days after Christmas. So Zach was with his friends at our mall and uh, purchased, uh, they were connected through uh, Snapchat, uh, a social media platform uh, with a dealer. Um, and what, they hap what happened is they were purchased, what they were told was a legitimate and harmless Percocet bill, like what you get from a uh, dentist, uh, who is a stranger who had uh, been recently placed on probation. Instead, Zach and a friend were sold a fake pill made of illicit fentanyl. Uh, the next day, uh, I had the uh, unspeakable experience to discover Zach in his room, uh, initially appearing to be asleep at his desk. He had his head resting on his arm um, in front of his computer, uh, but as I approached him, he uh, appeared he was not breathing. and. Uh, Tragedy struck, and um, it was absolutely the worst experience I've ever had. Um, and I've seen some hard days. Uh, I, I've had an adventurous military career, but uh, it also had been riddled with a lot of days of struggle and grief and, and suffering, especially having witnessed uh, far too many friends uh, not make it back home from our deployments. Uh, but I never really imagined giving CPR to a soldier in a battlefield, yet alone to my son in his bedroom. And so that's what happened. Um, uh, law enforcement, sheriff, police, uh, of course, showed up quickly. We tried as a, as a team to revive Zach, and after a period of time, it was decided it was too late. Uh, they examined Zach in his room for about two and a half hours and uh, looked everywhere. Then they looked throughout my, house, my home. And my other kids were downstairs when I discovered Zach, and, and they tried to help, and, and, and I had to ask them to step back. And um, after about four hours of looking around, they, they found no evidence of any kind of drugs, any products, any paraphernalia. They asked me if Zach had a history of uh, health history or drug use history. Uh, they initially ruled out self-harm. Um, it was peaceful death, but uh, at least it appeared to be. But uh, I said, well, no, he had no health history. He was an incredibly successful athlete and multi-sport uh, uh, success uh, in the track and field world and soccer. I coached his soccer team for six years. He's one of our uh, star players. So no health history, and I, I told them I'd never experienced or seen him uh, involved in any kind of recreational drugs. We've had every talk we knew to have uh, with him and his 
soccer team, and I felt like our community was a very nice, comfortable, safe community. Um, and they found no evidence. So initially that first night, we thought maybe there was an undetected health issue. Uh, but over the course of several weeks, we started piecing things together and discovered he uh, unwittingly consumed a pill that was made of fentanyl that took his life. Chris, a, a few things. You talked about Zach being a great athlete. Uh, I know he was an Eagle Scout, starred in the school play, seem, seemingly did everything everything right, yeah. everything we'd want all of our kids to do. Uh, but, you know, during COVID, we know kids were sort of experiencing some different things. We're talking about mental health here. Um, yeah. And and he was on Snapchat, which we know, you know, we hear a lot of stories of, of people going on there and being connected to dealers uh, mm-hmm. and sadly making that, that first purchase. Since then, uh, and how we've become connected, you've done a lot of adv- advocacy, you've gotten out into a lot of schools and, and into communities, and, and I appreciate everything you've done across the country, by the way. You've traveled here to New Hampshire to speak at some events for me. Can you just hit real quickly on some of the work that you're doing? Yes, sir. Um, and I, I want to add to what you mentioned, Zach. <laughs> he, he was a, a, a enormously successful young man, straight-A student, loved his family, friends, and life. Uh, truly charismatic soul uh, and a bright light in the world, uh, one any family member would have. Uh, only three months after Zach died, his mother and I opened acceptance letters into five UCs, including UCLA. Uh, so a, a leader in his uh, scout troop, uh, the, the, the lead in his high school musical, uh, a leader and a captain on his soccer team, his track and field team, and, and a straight-A student just up high-caliber young man, and yet uh, he fell victim to a fentanyl-related case. So this really shows that fentanyl does not discriminate. Um, and as, as you mentioned, uh, we've, we've been fortunate to be involved. I, I'm very much connected and active with my, uh, my congressman, uh, Kevin Kiley. I got involved with quite a lot of nonprofits. I currently work for one called Victims of Illicit Drugs, VOID. Uh, I've worked with several other nonprofits, um, and uh, I've been engaged with the Office of National Drug Control Policy, uh, the U.S. Attorney General, his office, as well as uh, leaders with the Drug Enforcement Administration. Uh, I will add, uh, of all the government agencies I've worked with, DEA has has absolutely been standing uh, out front trying to get in front of this the best they can to educate. And part of that is establishing a healthy relationship with multiple grieving families. And I, I'm thankful to uh, John and, and, and the team of DEA for, for us um, fostering these relationships. As far as advocacy, I, I've learned there's three main spaces uh, to help me compartmentalize that I think we need to work on. Um, the one I really feel is the most impactful is most effective is the awareness and education space. I believe that's uh, one of our biggest tools in our tool bag. And I've had the fortunate opportunity to present. Uh, most of that is in front of student assemblies. Uh, last year I did 83 of them throughout wow. the U.S. Um, thanks to John, um, I got to uh, also engage with parents at parent summits. And uh, I think it was around 25 or 30 parent info nights community calls to action, town halls, of course, uh, lots of interviews like this uh, uh, and papers. 
uh, of course, uh, national and local uh, news outlets to share, here's what happened, here's what we were learning, uh, and people need to know. I think as far as families, getting the word out to students, but also their their parents and caregivers is absolutely critical because the landscape has absolutely changed. And with stories like what happened to Zach uh, or others similar to it, a a high school football player gets injured at practice on Tuesday and the coach says, hey, we're just going to bench you for the game. And he's thinking, well, that's the game I don't want to miss. And uh, there's there's scouts, so I'm going to go get my own oxycodone I don't need a doctor to give it to me, and I'll, I'll be able to be on my A game, not realizing he's not taking an actual oxycodone. He's taking a fake pill, and he dies. And, uh, and Chris, let me, so let me just jump in. Like and, and, Jack, the, the importance of somebody like Chris is I can go talk to every school in New Hampshire tomorrow, but what I've seen firsthand is yeah, his, you know, story. The, his yeah. story. His yeah. uh, story, he's, he's got lived experience tragically. Um, but but a lot of a, a lot of the kids will well, will listen. What I'm first of all, I words I, I I do a talk show each day for a living. So sir, I, I I'm speechless. Um, applaud your courage, your your mm-hmm. passion for your son's memory and other families. And obviously, if it happened to your family, it can happen to any family. So God bless, Godspeed. Thanks for joining us and sharing your story, Chris. Again, yes, thoughts sir. and thoughts and prayers. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thank you very much. All right, we need to sneak in a quick break back with our focus. Wow, I mean, what a story. Back in a moment. And now, back to our special town hall edition of Good Morning New Hampshire, live from the Bank of NH stage in downtown Concord. Uh, Eric Eckberg, you heard uh, Chris, John Delane at DEA. Uh, that one story that I was looking at my uh, clock, 12, 14 minutes, um, it, it kind of stunned me as a parent, um, and I guess my reaction was, and Eric, I want you to kind of just have this conversation with John, is he, he painted that picture so naturally and well that you could almost picture the bedroom, picture the family, um, picture Zach. And, but then when you throw an Eagle Scout, any, anyone not familiar with scouting, that's like, that's like the most exemplary achievement. So obviously this kid was a very driven, motivated kid. Wasn't like hanging around alleys, getting into trouble. Um, didn't have a history of experimentation. Is that right, John? Correct. And what's your reaction to that story, Eric? Um, just another uh, a tragic story that you hate to hear. It's every parent's nightmare. Uh, we talked earlier about you know, parents confronting their children, doing, I, I don't know if Chris could have done anything more. I mean, it, yeah. it's... That's uh, what's scary, though. It was a one, I mean, you have this campaign, John, one pill. I thought it was a little overstated when I first heard it, but I, when I hear that, I guess one pill can kill. Yeah, D, DEA, in the 28 years I've been with DEA, I've never seen something with more traction than one pill can kill. It's so, it certainly has sort of resonated throughout communities, and we see it everywhere now. We had a billboard up in Times Square. I never thought in my career DEA would be putting billboards up in Times Square, but we reached millions of people trying to get that message out there, and, and people need to understand and have that conversation. If you're listening today, you know, I, I hate to even use the word story to what, to what Chris just described because it's such a, a horrific experience, but please, please tell that story to your children, your, your family, your friends. Like people need to understand that. And, you know, Eric, I think of high school kids and college kids and my time in college, and it's so easy for a good kid or any kid to go to a, go to a party 
right? Hang out with friends like they should do. And someone might have a, you know, I've heard a, a few years ago in affluent communities in New Hampshire, I heard of these bowl parties where they filled them with pills. And what the, the, the Russ Contis of the world were telling me of the law enforcement is the kids were basically spread the word, go to your parents' medicine cabinet, find an old prescription, bring a pill to a party. And they were doing that in places like nice communities in New Hampshire, not like, you know, and it could have been Percocet, could have been Vicodin, could have been an Oxy. Because too often when you do these collections, John, and restate how much you collected, what do we all do? If we have ankle or shoulder surgery and they give you a bottle of Oxy, you may take three, then you go to Tylenol and Advil, right? But you don't throw the pill. The pills, two years later, that bottle may be in your kitchen counter cabinet with 40 pills in there. So they'd go to these parties with a pill, and now one of these pills could be laced with fentanyl, and that daughter or son's not coming home. Yeah, and and, and the cartels have certainly stepped up what they're trying to do and how they're trying to get to all of us. These pills now, first of all, they look identical. You know, a, a seasoned DEA agent can't tell the difference, and they're cheap. They're $5 a pill now, and, and they do look exactly like a Percocet when, or an Adderall. When heroin was a bigger problem on the streets, because it wasn't many years ago, the number one nemesis was heroin. Before yeah. fentanyl was heroin, and it got expensive. And, and, Jack, heroin had a certain connotation to it. When, when we heard of somebody that was using heroin, we imagined yeah, needle needles in the arm, in the arm and, yeah. and, and, and all of the, you know, the, the, the pain of the addiction that went along with that. The cartels are savvy to that. They know that that, that is something that we don't, we're not comfortable with as, as Americans, so they made it easier to consume and cheaper to buy and readily available. So you're telling me one of these pills could be as cheap as five bucks? Five bucks a pill here in New Hampshire. $5 a pill. Easy to get? Very easy to obtain. I mean, if you just put out, in, in Chris's case, they went onto the social media platform. They didn't know the dealer had a history, said it was Percocet. Yeah. It, it, Meet him at the mall, get the pill. It, that easily, yeah. Wow. Eric, thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, Zach's story is, is uh, brutal to hear. Um, and we, we've touched upon a, a lot of things here, social media, the glorification, you know, the TikTok videos and influencers. We've got to get that uh, under under control. Uh, you know, I'm looking out at our audience here. I will guarantee you, and a lot of folks from Grant, a lot of alumni here, most of the people in this audience have a similar story. And it, maybe it isn't a one and done similar to Zach's story, but uh, it could be people that they know that are in the throes of addiction and continue to use and don't get help. Um, Couple, a couple of questions from our audience here back in New Hampshire stage for both of you. Just jump in before we go to break, and we'll say hi to our friends at NAMI. Would you uh, agree in today's society, education begins at home regarding addiction and mental health? Hold that thought, answer it. Number two, good question here. Do you have stats, uh, I guess, for men and women uh, in New Hampshire state prison or prisons where addiction and mental health are, are challenges? So you want to tackle those two? Yeah, so I want to jump in on, on a couple of things. The, 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 the fact that everybody has a story like that, like you said, is absolutely uh, positively true. We are addressing some things. DEA is hosting family summits because we know how powerful, you know, th there's families that are left with a void after something like this happens. By the way, siblings as well are left with losing somebody. The power that we're channeling by bringing those people together has been incredible. The other thing I want to say, Jack, is we, we started in New Hampshire trying to meet kids where they were. We had the first ever youth opioid summit here in 2017. It took off around the country. We're doing something that I, I want to announce. you filled Southern New Hampshire University we, Arena. We yeah. did. We're going to do something that I'm going to announce right here that, that uh, is going to take off nationwide. We're going to host an eSports tournament. A lot of these kids are doing gaming. 
and we're going to host a couple of events around the country where kids can compete in these esports games. Rocket League is the game that they play. But during the entire event, we're going to be delivering some important messaging, like you heard from Chris Didier, like you, you may or may not have heard Ava Michelle, who lost her brother. She was uh, on Dance Mom. She starred in a couple movies on Netflix. And now she's out talking to the story about losing her brother to fentanyl. She got over, she has 9 million followers on TikTok, and, wow. and she's out telling her story. That's what we need to do to connect to people where they are. And, and Eric, before we go to break, I would imagine the second question, the stats are probably too high in terms of addiction within prison. I mean, imagine, they, and they, I don't know if they're getting the help they need if you're in prison. And the other question about starting at home. Yeah, we, we've already touched about uh, starting at home and parents. And again, assuming that there's a, there are parents at home. I mean, that's the other piece that, and Senator Morse talked about it, do we have uh, a, a dad and a mom at home that can talk to their kids? And if not, who else, who's going to take that place? Well, it's got to be the school systems. It's got to be where our, our young people are going. Unfortunately, sometimes it's social media, and they're not getting the right message. There. It's too often wrong. All right, we need to take a quick break because we are on a network of stations uh, syndicated. So we're going to take a quick break live. Back in New Hampshire stage, State of Mental Health and Addiction. Jack Heath, back on the Pulse of an H in a moment. You're listening to a special edition of Good Morning New Hampshire, live from the Bank of NH stage in downtown Concord. All right, welcome back. Thanks for the folks here, and we continue. It's an important day, and I'll get back to the Biden, Trump, DeSantis, Haley stuff tomorrow and voter turnout next Tuesday and all that stuff. But I thought today with the, the presidential primary right on our doorstep, what a better time uh, than to stop and talk about the number one health. And I, these stories today, the expertise, the thoughts, Russ Conti, I want you to tee up our next segment. I wish I had more time. I'll get you back. But you have a great colleague. You've heard seven or ten times today the term NAMI from Senator Shaheen and others on how what a great group. Tell us what it stands for, what it is for those of us who don't know, and introduce our guest. Sure. Thanks very much, Jack. And I, I could not think of more powerful examples to, to outline this problem than we've heard today. But NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And that is a nationwide um, entity that also has a place in each state. And when we talk about New Hampshire, we talk about NAMI New Hampshire. And what a great group of people led by our guest here, uh, Executive Director Susan Stearns. I've been very, very fortunate to have, you know, been a part of what NAMI does for many, many years. Now I'm a past board of director, president, and spent some time on the board, and, and the work is absolutely incredible. So, Susan, I just want to make sure we, we give you all the credit and all the people and the volunteers and everybody that you work with. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Major. Thank you, Jack. It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you so much for highlighting this incredibly important issue. I especially appreciate the fact that this is about mental health and substance misuse disorder because our siloing of these issues is deadly. The reality is they intersect so many ways in so many lives, like loved ones of mine whom I've lost to these terrible disorders. NAMI New Hampshire is a grassroots organization working to improve the lives of all people impacted by mental illness and suicide through support, education, and advocacy. Last year, we served nearly 44,000 people. Wow. Made possible only through the tireless work of our 64 staff and our over 200 volunteers statewide. So I know a lot of folks who have been impacted by NAMI New Hampshire and received our services who volunteer for us are listening today. So I want to give them all a shout out because indeed you are truly offering people hope and a lifeline. How can we help you? 
Well, th this is a really important um, forum. And one of the things that I've noticed this morning is this recurring theme about sharing our stories, about um, making sure that we bring these issues out of the darkness and out of the shadows and talk about them. Because the reality is there is no one who is not impacted by mental illness and substance misuse. And we can say, and, and Jack, I appreciate your calling on our policymakers. Well, the reality is every one of us needs to call on our policymakers to make sure that these are issues that are front and center every day because too many, <laughs> there are too many Zachs and too many you, grieving families. And you know, Susan and Russ, he and I go back a little bit. Um, I, I keep saying it on the show sometimes because I, I mean this. I don't want to run for political office. last thing I'd want to do, which is a sad statement because it's such a toxic environment. But if I were the governor or the president for a day or a week, I would convene a week-long summit in the Capitol with people from all over the state, not just a three-hour show. And I'd say, we aren't going home till we do better. Because I don't want to hear about kids sitting in a hospital emergency room with no clinical psychiatrist there. That is not 2024 New Hampshire. But that's me. I'm not running for office. Let me, let me throw this at both of you. In my own, I always, when, I, when I ran WMUR-TV on the news side, I used to say, I listen to the people around me. So whether it was at a bus stop, drop your kids off, listen to the parents. In my own sphere of life, I have two people, one a friend and one a relative, who have kids living at home who suffer from some degree of diagnosed clinical mental health issue and addiction is joined right at the hip as a way to medicate it. They got hooked. I've seen those two people who I love age 10 to 15 years, the parents, in two years because every day 24-7 they worry I don't think they're alone am I right or wrong no they're not alone and I too am one of those parents although my adult child is moving out today so fingers crossed folks that this launch works it's not the first attempt and the re that's a piece of what NAMI New Hampshire offers though we have support groups that are available free of charge you can find them on our website NAMINH.org for, so that families like mine can get support from each other. We have free education programs for families. We offer one-on-one um, -on -one support for individuals and families, as well as we have a, not a crisis line, but an information and resource line, that, so it's normal business hours, where we can help you with navigating systems because it's so hard. And you're absolutely right. This creates an enormous burden on the caregivers, the families. It's nonstop, I've seen it. Yes. Can, it's nonstop. And I often say when I, I, um, when I have folks who reach out to me, because all the time, people in my personal life who aren't part of my work life will reach out because, yes, now it's impacted them and their family. And I tell them that while NAMI New Hampshire is a club that you don't want to join, once you do, you discover that there are a lot of really good people there who can help well, you. Well, maybe the key is to get involved before the accident. Help your group because you're going to be able to do Russ, real quickly, uh, did you know 20 years ago when maybe you were investigating crimes for the state police or stopping cars in the interstate, you'd be involved in NAMI? You know, at that time, I couldn't have, I couldn't have guessed it, but I think anecdotally about everything that I was exposed to and what I saw and what first responders get interjected in and everything we've described, that first call that's made, you have police officers and firefighters and EMTs that are the first ones at the scene, know nothing of the circumstances. 
And now that we have a program that is training them, we've trained over 850 first responders in crisis management so that these families have somebody coming through the door that not only is aware but cares but has resources to help focus on the problem. Because there's no way I could have predicted it. Uh, I have had, you know, we have all been touched, my family, everyone is touched. No one gets a pass. And I think the most important thing we can do is keep it a team effort and understand that everybody is part of this. And even the people that were never identified as those people that were going to help you through it are doing it different now. You know, I'll never forget before we go a break, and when we come back, we're going to hear from the folks at Anthem, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, and what they're doing on the insurance side. They're making mental health a real priority in 2024. Hear from their CEO. She and I go back doing great stuff. Top of the 11, we're going to have the DEA back, and Eric talking about another drug. Yes, another drug, not fentanyl. Is that scary? There's another one on the horizon that we don't even know about. So that's what's coming up, plus some of our other great uh, community health, mental health partners. But someone smarter than me once said, we're only as happy as parents as our unhappiest kid. And I'll never forget once, um, I, was, I was with a CEO executive, believe it or not, basically had a private airplane, done well, sold a few companies, all the bank, you know, all the zeros in the bank accounts, two or three homes, whatever. Uh, and he said, Jack, my, my life's an absolute mess because my kid's messed up. And I would give every penny, everything I own, everything I am, everything I've ever been. I can't sleep. My wife is hinging on a thread, and I don't know what to do. So there's hope. And one of the things we need to do is support each other, because when it gets hard for me to hold on to hope, I rely on the folks who provide that peer support, those other parents, those other family members, to help me hold on to that hope. I also want to make sure that everyone remembers that there is New Hampshire Rapid Response available 24-7 for folks to get help, um, as well as the three-digit 988 number. Those are really important resources. You're not alone, even though sometimes it really feels like you are. And if nothing else, if you talk about these issues and bring them out into the light, it makes it so that we have to address it and so more people will seek help. Keeping things in the shadows perpetuates this ongoing yeah. stigma and discrimination. Well, Susan, thank you for what you do. Website again? NAMINH.org. I also want to mention that here in the Bank of New Hampshire stage on May 15th, NAMI is producing This Is My Brave. Auditions are next week. You can go sign up on our website. Awesome. It's a place where you can tell your story, however that you choose, be it dance, song, spoken word, poetry. So please, if you're interested, go there, sign up for auditions next week. We'd love to see you back here and part of that dispelling the stigma at This Is My Brave. Russ, I think you're going to help us wrap it up in the next hour. Thank you again. We need to take a quick break. Good morning, New Hampshire. The Pulse of an Age. Thank you to my team, by the way. J-Dog back at the ranch, Benny Media. I just said to Heath Cole and Morgan and CJ and everyone, hey, I want to do a three-hour town hall just on mental health and addiction right before the primary. They go, what are you, nuts? No, no, I thought I think it would be a good thing to do. Back on the Pulse of an H in a moment. And now, back to our special town hall edition of Good Morning New Hampshire, live from the Bank of NH stage in downtown Concord. Uh, one of the other folks that helped us uh, pull off today beyond Granite Recovery Center is our presenting sponsor, Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield in New Hampshire, Maria Pru. Uh, President, CEO, you got kids, you got a family. I think you've been impacted by today's discussion. But you're, we were just talking during the break. I'd love to hear what you're trying to do earlier on in the process 
earlier on with those warning signs or a fire may happen before the accident, especially with younger people, and how to maybe not separate what Susan just talked about with NAMI on the mental health and the addiction side. Thank you. Take it away. Thanks for supporting this. Sure. Thanks, Jack, and thanks for having me this morning. You know, I think I was reflecting on what Susan said about how people separate, you know, substance use versus a mental health, and um, I thought about the work that we're doing at Anthem. We're really trying to refocus the discussion around mental health because we want people to treat mental health as primary care. I think for so long people have thought about, oh, yes, I go to my primary care provider, I have an annual wellness visit, um, and then mental health is sort of separate. Oh, and then that's specialty care. And so we talk a lot at Anthem about how we want people to treat mental health as primary care. And so to really do that, we thought about the ways that we, from our seats in the health insurance stands, can help support that mission. And so we've made several uh, very large changes this year as we've launched our new benefit plans for 2024, where for the first time ever in the state, we are offering plans where we have reduced the mental health co-pays to be commensurate with what folks pay for a PCP visit. And so if you just think about it, you know, our mission is increase access and then reduce barriers to that access. One of the barriers for folks is cost. Yeah, Can yeah. they afford to get the mental health support yeah, that they need? Is this covered if you heard, How is many it, times you hear that? Is that covered? Yeah. Is it covered? But also, I mean, you talked earlier about the fact that it's not just the person suffering from mental health, it's the family. So when you think about the number of visits and every time that family needs to pay for a visit for their child or pay for a visit for themselves, that additional copay at $25, it adds up. Right. And so we say, let's not only treat mental health as primary care and reduce those copays up front, but let's also think differently about how we work with the mental health community. And can we work providers in a bundled way where you're getting support for the child as well as support for the family and it's all together? Well, I, this is encouraging. This is actually one of the refreshing pieces I've heard today of things that might be changing in a positive way because, uh, Maria, I... I think of my own life, my own family, you know, unfortunately gone are the years where you had one primary care physician that everyone in the family knew. He knew the name of your dog or she knew the name of your family. They, you kind of grew up with that person. And when you go in to see that person, they talk to you. Hey, how, how are you feeling? I'm, I'm going to take your blood pressure in a minute, but how are you doing? Well, today everyone's in such a hurry, including the patients. We don't have these dialogues. And so much of our physical chronic conditions can be, go, can be tied to underlying mental health. If you have ongoing, you don't sleep, you have digestive issues, you might have stress issues that, why is my shoulder always sore? Mental health. So it's great that we're looking at, you know, kind of bringing this together. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it today, when you look at the data, up to 70% of primary care visits that we see in insurance claims have something to do with mental health, 70%. Wow. And I hear on college campuses, you talk to like the infirmary people at University of New Hampshire, Durham. When I went to the University of Vermont, and yes, Bernie Sanders was mayor, by the way, isn't that funny? Uh, no, he's a good guy. Um, when I went to UVM, the infirmary was only a place you went to if you got strep throat, mononucleosis, or some kind of flu. Not because you had emotional anxiety or depression. Today, I'm hearing the infirmaries are being flooded with kids. That that's the nature of going to the infirmary. 
Absolutely. And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, patients who don't get the mental health care that they need develop other chronic conditions. Or might self-medicate. Absolutely. And then you have an addiction issue. Absolutely. And, and then the cost to that patient in the system can be two to three times more if we cannot address the mental health condition at a younger age. So we really need to be focused. There are a, a finite number of providers. We talk a lot about access issues in the state of New Hampshire. There's a finite number of providers in New Hampshire physically. So we need to think about how we bring other providers in the state and open up that access. Well, I applaud you for the business leadership because it takes someone like you to be able to explain this. And I think you're looking at that. Um, if people want to learn more, and if I'm a, pro- a provider, a person, how can I learn more about what your, what your goals are and what you're doing? Sure. And families out there. Absolutely. So if you are an Anthem member, you have full access to all of that information. Um, and if you're not an Anthem member, please, uh, please visit us at anthem.com, and you can get all of that information. Well, stay with us, Maria, for a moment, because we're going to bring back John Delaney to kind of do what we call in our business a tease. So one last time, Maria, just on if someone wants to learn more, because sometimes people are driving, they're just busy, best way? www.anthem.com. And you could just you can see coverage, mental health, primary care, what and information. And, and, and are these going to be new plans as well? Absolutely. So for individuals, well, families, or additional? All of the plans. So if you were an Anthem member in 2023 and you rolled over your coverage in 2024, your new plan includes this. You oh, don't have you. to go out and buy it or change it. actually rolled right into the changes we made in all of our benefit plans for 2024. I hope other players follow suit. Thank you for Me coming and being part of this. I want to get you more on my morning show as well. So thank you, Maria, for continuing the mission. John Delena, uh, Maria with Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield of the DEA. I just wanted you to tee up what we're going to hear in the next hour because you said it right before you left the stage in the last hour uh, in the next hour to stay with us. Yeah, Jack, thanks. What I want to talk about is xylazine. Um, it's an animal tranquilizer, really a horse tranquilizer. Uh, it's commonly referred to on the streets as trank, and we're seeing it mixed more and more with the uh, fentanyl that we're seizing, and I'll give you some of those numbers. Wow. And once more time, because I've already got some messages. How many people in the United States of America last year died from a drug in, overdose? In the 12-month period ending June of 2023, it was 112,000 Americans died of a drug poisoning, drug overdose. And you hear me use the word poisoning because a lot of the families that have been affected by this, like Chris Didier, uh, it, it was truly a poisoning and not an overdose. Now, real quickly, if I remember right, in the last segment... I feel, like, I feel like one of these U.S. senators at a hearing up here asking questions. In the last segment, you said something about 380 doses or something you were able to take off the streets, something like that. Yeah, it, it, I talked about the, the amount of drugs that we see. 77 million pills last year, 12,000 pounds of fentanyl powder, 386 million deadly doses. So as I call it my UVM logic or common sense, that's only what you interdicted. Correct. That's what DEA alone has seized. By the way, other law enforcement agencies are seizing more. A lot got through the cracks. But we don't know what exactly right. That's what I'm always afraid of because last night I was doing some research for the show. I'd say, okay, how many people in America deal with some degree of mental health situation condition? It was like a number, like 50 million. Think about it. How many veterans I've met that don't even talk about it? They're They're not on any report anywhere. So you look at the numbers of underreporting is really significant because that's only the numbers of someone who's been diagnosed and in the system. I would say the majority of people aren't even there yet. Well, 
because they're they're not talking about it. They're just keeping it quiet. The incredible work we've done, particularly in New Hampshire, getting naloxone and Narcan available, and all the lives that it's saved. Just think about that, you know, and just yeah. think about how that's being not reported as well. All right, coming up, we're going to talk about that other thing that begins with a Z, horse trank. Good morning, New Hampshire, the Pulse of an H, Jack Heath, J-Dog on the boards, C.J. Morgan, Bank of New Hampshire stage, the State of Mental Health and Addiction. Back with some of our other great partners in a moment. 